tell me this. What do you do when God asks you to do something that is against your very nature? What do you do? Do you humble yourself and just say, okay, God, you're in charge. I'll just do whatever you ask. Or are you like me? Do you fuss with God? Do you try to negotiate with God in hopes that you can persuade God to see things your way? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't have a problem fussing with God and trying to negotiate with God, even though everything in me knows that God is omnipotent and omnipresent and knows everything, and God knows what's best for me. Well, I got to tell you something. I am a lover of the Old Testament. And the reason why I love the Old Testament is because it is filled with people who are just like me. People who fuss with God, complain with God, murmur with God, and even talk back to God in unholy ways. I know all of y'all are holy, but that is not who I am. I'm just saying. Thank you that I'm with all the holy people. Amen. So what do you do when God asks you to do what you don't want to do? Even so, what I have learned about reading in the, New Te uh, the Old Testament is this. Even though the people complain and fuss and sometimes talk to God in unholy ways, God never stops loving them from being real human beings who just can't get what God is trying to give them. Sometimes the people of God have to endure the wrath of God because of their disobedience. But they know that if they turn back to God, God will be right there, right there to forgive them, right there to love them, right there to restore them and to renew God's covenant with them. To God be the glory. I got to tell you, today's scripture is one of those texts that I would never choose to preach from because it is about snakes. Now, you need to know that I am terrified of snakes. As a matter of fact, I'm so afraid of snakes that just reading this scripture earlier this week, it raised my anxiety. I could just feel my blood pressure, Susan, going up as I start to read about those serpents. Now, I have to tell you that the only reason why I am preaching from this text this morning is because I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to be obedient to our God and to do what I do not want to do. But every now and then, if you're going to grow, you're going to have to push your stuff aside so that you can do God's stuff. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word this morning. And I pray that God will speak to me and through me and to you and for us so that we will all be better from having struggled with the serpents this morning. Dear Lord, ease my fears so that I may be used by you to speak on your behalf to your people. Grant me peace. Grant us courage to hear 
courage to receive, courage to believe, and then courage to transform your words into holy living action for each of us today. May it be so in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. So the scripture that I will be sharing with you from today comes from Numbers, the 21st chapter, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest, we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people that bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to our God. Sometimes when I go to the holy text. I spend a lot of time asking the Holy Spirit the question, why? As we continue to make our way out of this pandemic, the church experts tell us that we must have a clear why, W-H-Y. Why do we do what we do in the name of Jesus? Why do we measure our success based on worldly metric system? Why do we include various rituals in what we call worship? Why, why, why? In order to understand why, it is important that this story from Numbers shows up right here today as we are halfway through the Lenten season on this journey we have to stop in the midst of the gospel story, go back to numbers, only so that we can understand the gospel a little bit better. I'll remind you that this text uh, here in Numbers 21, when you read this text, you have to have the eyes of the third chapter of the gospel of John sort of hovering, hovering, hovering over your head, providing the framework for the Old Testament. Now, what do you know about John's gospel, the third chapter? Many of us who are Christians for any time, and even if you're not, if you watch Major League Baseball, basketball, every now and then, you'll see John 3.16. And most of us are very familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only 
son so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Even our kids can give us John 3.16. However, we often miss the profound connection between the Old and the New Testament that Jesus makes, not in verse 3.16, but in verses 3.14 and 15, before he says, God so loved the world. Jesus says this, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you have the opportunity to read my e-note this week, you will know that my mom had a terrible fear of snakes. And her fear of snakes has been passed on to her four daughters. And I must say this, although I am stupidly afraid of snakes, I didn't even know how stupid I was instead I started reading it and I'm like, oh God, you know, I got to make a confession as I think about these snakes. I want you to know a snake has never chased me, a snake has never bitten me, looked me in the eye, or harmed me in any way. In reality, between me, you, and our Facebook Live family members, my fear of snakes makes absolutely no sense. It is not based in reality. However, it does not keep me from being afraid, terribly so, of snakes. I want you to know, I was living in Lebanon, and I came home one day, and there's a big black snake laying across the driveway, and I sat in my car, and I screamed, and I locked the door as though I thought the snake was going to crawl into the car. And I'm sitting there screaming, and by the time I regain my composure, I call my sister Pat in Cincinnati, Ohio, to tell her there's a snake in the driveway. Now understand that Pat's my sister. She has the same problem I have. She said, girl... Get off the phone and call the police. I don't know why you're laughing. That's my big sister. What did I do? I got off the phone and I thought, call the police. Call the police? And I thought, man, that really don't make a lot of sense because that police is not going to come and arrest this snake. But I finally came to myself and I called my friend Karen and Bob Holman. And Bob and his, I think she was a ninth grade at the time, Laura, they come down to the parsonage. And Laura, the ninth grader, said, Ben, where's the snake? She said, I'm not scared of snakes. She said, now I'm scared of spiders. And I thought, now that's ridiculous, I can smash a spider. But she was just going to pick up the snake. And I'm telling you, that snake, it may have been this size. But in my eyes, I'm telling you, I am terribly, unrealistically afraid of snakes. And now I see God telling me I got to talk about these snakes. But here's what happened to me. As I, read, I, mean, I couldn't even sit down. I have this habit. I like to have my sermon written by Thursday. But all the way through the week, I couldn't write that sermon. All I could think about was my fear of snakes. So this week, I was talking to my sister friend, Julie, and I was telling her how this scripture was just gnawing at me. And Julie said, maybe... Julie said, maybe you need to preach about your struggle with snakes, you know. And then she said to me, you know, I mean, maybe I was just being really unrealistic. Julie said, you know what? You have PTSD about them snakes. And I thought, that's some real 
little stuff right there, you know. And I start to think about that. This is serious stuff when people have an unrealistic fear. But Judah was right. You see, my childhood memory of mom keeping us outside all day, one hot July day, because mom was convinced that there was a rattlesnake in our house had forever been ingrained in my memory. Now, the reality is there was no rattlesnake in my house. There was a princess phone whose ringer had gone out, and every time it rang, it sounded like a little rattlesnake. But we had been out four or five hours waiting on dad to come home to go in and slay a snake that did not exist. Before I could make connection with this scripture, I had to deal with the... Now, I want to tell you, don't try to mess with me. I'm still afraid of snakes, but I am able to talk about them today. So do not bring me a snake. I'm just saying, don't do that. That would not be wise. Uh, But I did make some connection between Jesus being lifted up as the serpent was lifted up in the desert. I had to ask God to deal with me and my fear because, see, my fears kept me from seeing the connection which also tainted my understanding of the story that God was trying to reveal to me. So I told Julie that after I read the number story, I was mad at God, and I finally figured out why I was mad at God, because it appeared to me that God was trying to redeem that serpent from his behavior in Genesis, and now God, he is redeeming this serpent and telling us that, okay, so the serpent got in between Adam and Eve and God, but in this story, I dare God to use the serpent as a symbol of both destruction and healing. So when you look at that medical sign, (laughs) that medical sign has always been a problem for me, that they wear on their coats, and that medical sign is two serpents interwoven (laughs) with wings. You're looking at the thing that both terrifies me and the profession that heals me. They're both in. My friends, do you realize that the rod of Eclipus and Caduceus is, Caduceus is the exact right sign that God needed to use with the children of Israel because every time they looked down, they were looking back to what used to be and looking down and looking back became a source of death for them. They began to long, hunger for the flesh pots of Egypt, of their yesterday. They did not realize it, but they were longing for death. So God chose the poisonous snake as a symbol for what they were longing for, yesterday's slavery to death. But the other side of that snake One of the life-giving realities of a snake is that it sheds its outer layer, the outer skin, as a sign of new growth. I don't like the snake, but I can't miss the message. We cannot grow while looking down and looking back. So God gave Israel 
this rod, this bronze rod, a clippers, so that every time they looked back and they grumbled and wished for yesterday, they would taste death. But every time those who got bitten by a snake chose to look up at the rod, to look up at where God was leading them, God would grow them forward. They would move, they would shift out of the old skin, take it off, and move into a place of growth. How does this relate to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John? When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus was holding on to his yesterday. But Jesus was inviting him like a snake to shed his old ways of measuring and seeing truth through the limited lenses of the Mosaic law. In order for Jesus to help Nicodemus to see that God was doing a new thing, God, in order for him to see that God was doing a new thing through his son Jesus, what Jesus had to do with Nicodemus is take him back to an old familiar story from the Torah, and the story that he chose was that of the snakes. So in reality, the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, it is the same conversation that God had with the children of Israel as they were being bitten by serpents. You see, God sets before God's people the choice of life and death. We get to choose. Are we going to move to a new normal or simply prepare ourselves to try to go back to an old normal that no longer exists? You see, for those Israelites, the ones who insisted on looking down and looking back, the Bible says many of them died there in the desert. But for those Israelites who are like you and I, who are tempted by our humanity to every now and then look around and dare to get bitten by a snake. Those who were bitten because they were looking back, who chose to say, no, 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 don't go back, because I think it's human to look back. When I make the mistake of looking back, God corrects me. I'm going to look forward, and I'm going to look up, and I'm going to dare to trust that our future as Israelites is in God's hands. Don't miss the fact that the ones who lived were also bitten because they were still very human, subject to making mistakes, but they chose to trust God more than trusting themselves. Jesus informs Nicodemus, unless you shed your old ways of thinking, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. My friends, as we are coming out of this pandemic, God is having a conversation with us. The other day I met with all of my uh, Hammer brothers and we were talking about where we are as a church. And the one thing that we were clear of as pastors, every church, and especially across America, we need to take it seriously that coming out of this pandemic means that we have to do a new church launch. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow, we don't know what it's going to reveal. What we do know, though, is that God is in charge. And as we sat and we prayed with each other and we talked to each other as pastors, we know that it is launching time. 
It is time for new vision. Uh, if we insist on longing for what used to be normal, then we are looking down and looking back, and we will surely die off. The only way to move through this pandemic to our new normal is to be like the servant and shed off what used to be the old ways no longer relevant to our present time. The only way forward is to look up. To look up and live by trusting our future to the one who has brought us thus far by faith. And I need to remind Highland Hope that in October, you're going to be 25 years young. And I want you to know that God is not done with you yet. But we must shed what we used to love and enjoy and find the new joy that we have in growing with God right now. What does God want to do in us, through us in 2021? Because today is our one year anniversary of living in the pandemic. The church has forever shifted in America. People talked about, well, are we going to be able to get our people back? Some churches that had two sites, they had to give up one of their other sites. Uh, no church in our town has even made it back to 50% because we know people are still getting their shots and people will continue to be with us on Facebook Live. How do we do ministry in this new paradigm? There is no tomorrow that is filled with hope based on yesterday's norms. No tomorrow based on yesterday. We must look up and live. Our lives, our hope, our joy cannot be confined to the normalcy of what our hearts long for. We are not who we used to be. We're just like that snake. Spring is coming, and if you walk out in the newness of spring, I don't know what time of year you start to see those snake skins. Some of those farmers can tell you, oh, God, it makes my skin crawl. But maybe I'll be different this year. <laughs> you don't think so? Have a little faith. My friends, whether we are up to the challenge or not, it's time for us to become church planters. That's what all of us said on Wednesday when we met. We're going to all have to become church planters. Once again, casting a new and fresh vision of who God is calling us post-pandemic. Today was a beautiful day for us to know, oh, we can sing again? That's the shedding. We still got to be in the mass. We look forward to when we can shed our mass. But at least we have shed at the silence of not being able to sing. That's just a sign of hope. It, it's the little bud that you'll see on the trees here pretty soon. Each of us must choose now are we going to look down? Are we going to look back? Are we going to look forward? We got a choice to make. Are we going to embrace the flesh pots of Egypt? If so, that's death for certain. Or are we going to live? Look up, look to God, and be certain of this one thing. There is not one person who knows what tomorrow holds. But this I promise you, I know who holds tomorrow. And his name is Jesus. And I'm reminded as we journey toward Easter that one day, Mary's little boy, he got up from the grave and he said he had all power of heaven and earth in his hands. He held the keys of death in his hands. And so get this, the serpent that we see as death dealing also had life and the Christ that we serve 
holds death captive so that you and I can hold on to life. My sisters and brothers, I encourage you today, choose life. Look up and live. To God be the glory.